0: You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP Family Nurse Practitioner Programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years, and right now they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN, and let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's excellent smumsn.com. I wanted to remind you before the show starts that if you are considering travel nursing, you can go to their website today at trustedhealth.com forward slash goodnurse, fill out a profile and start seeing opportunities right now all across the country. You can see what they pay, you can see the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash goodnurse and fill out a profile today. Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I want to welcome you back for another week of talking about nurses and other healthcare professionals doing both good and bad things. But before I introduce my guest host, I want to call on all of my nursing students from Georgia. So if you're from Georgia and you're a nursing school, I just want to let you know I'm going to be back at the Georgia Association of nursing students. I want to make sure I say that right because it's G A N S. So the Georgia Association of Nursing Students Conference. I actually was there last year virtually and so it was so disappointing that I wasn't able to go physically. So this year I will get to be in Atlanta for that and we're gonna actually do a live show. I'll have another guest host with me and we will do a live show at the conference. So I'm really, really excited about getting to do this. If you live in Georgia And you're thinking about going to the conference, go ahead and go and come by and see us because I would love to get to see you. And we will be recording the sessions and releasing them as episodes. So that's exciting. It's just so exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. And so now I would like to welcome back Erica Bailey from the University of Portland School of Nursing. Hey, Erica, I'm so glad. It's so nice to have you back.
1: Oh, Tina, thank you so much. It's
0: really good to be back. Well, I feel like it's been a while. How does a year go by so fast? I don't even know.
1: Seriously. Well, you know, the COVID year feels a little bit like a lost year. When I'm calculating back to something, I'm like, I'm always a year off. And I realize it's because although it certainly was a year, but sometimes it feels like a missed year as well. Yes,
0: (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it does feel like it's like anything that happened there doesn't count. So Right. It just right. didn't happen. Right. We have some interesting stories. We've got a bad paramedic story this weekend. Yeah. Just so you know, for our good nurse story, it's definitely a tragic story, but it's someone that we want to highlight and honor her life. So I like to say that at first, because just in case, you know, for, for people who are kind of triggered by, by different things, it's, it's a sad story. Just, just letting you know,
1: they're both sad stories. As far as the nurse goes,
0: they are. They really are, and there, there's a reason that we do this. I always like to say we 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 like to shine a light in the darkness. It's just, you know, I, I don't like to pretend like this stuff doesn't happen because I feel like we learn from history. You know, by talking about it, you know, and just kind of then we mm-hmm. can recognize. The the people sometimes there are bad apples that end up at healthcare, unfortunately. Most the vast majority of people that, that go into healthcare do that because they love helping people. But sometimes maybe not.
1: People take advantage of, of a situation or access. Yeah. No. I like that. Shine the light in the darkness.
0: So this story is about Thomas Elmer Junior. He was a paramedic. But before we get to talking about him, I'd like to just talk a little bit about the victim, Tamara Naish, and it is spelled N-A-I-S-H. Tamara was originally from Alabama. She was a model in high school and college. And from her, according to her, her obituary, she was a kind, sensitive, fun-loving soul who never met a stranger or recognized an enemy. Her smile and laugh could light a room. She sounded like she would have been just an amazing nurse. So she did graduate from the University of Alabama Nursing School in 1993 and also that was at the same time that Thomas was going. So he he went to nursing school as well even though he was a paramedic. And she was 48 years old at the time of her death. So Thomas claims that he was in the army for 17 years, but there actually isn't any real evidence that he was. His uh, Tamara never really saw any evidence and Her family, kind of unconfirmed, but that's what he claimed. He also attended the University of Alabama Nursing School in Birmingham. And as I said, he was a paramedic, worked for AmeriCare Ambulance Services. And he originally was from Florida. Thomas and Tamara had dated for about three or four years. They lived together for about a year in Riverview, Florida. And allegedly, Tamara was attempting to help Thomas get into the VA uh, so he could get treatment for PTSD.
1: I wonder if her attempting to had something to do with him not being connected. I'd be really curious to know if he really was in the service.
0: I wonder because if she's trying to get him in to the VA, was there resistance there because because there was no, evidence that he really was, you know, is she like, Oh, you were a veteran, we can get you help for your for, for your PTSD. And he's like, in his mind thinking, eh, that's probably not gonna happen.
1: Because there's literally one form. I mean, I know there's a process to get enrolled and coverage and mm-hmm. all that. But as a former VA nurse, I do know that there's literally one form that kind of proves your service. And of course, they have access to it if you don't have it.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes me wonder, because if he's telling her, oh, I was in the military for 17 years and all that, and then she is like, well, you know, you're str- it, obviously, she must have seen signs of him struggling with PTSD. That's a very real f- disorder. And she's like, you know, she recognizes that he needs help. And she's going, you know, you can have, you can get help for this. This is something that can be treated. Right. And she's trying to help him. But clearly, there was obviously a roadblock there, and I feel like the fact that there's no real evidence that he's, mm, makes me almost wonder.
1: Which is unfortunate, because perhaps if he could have gotten help, regardless of what the cause was of what he was experiencing, then perhaps she wouldn't have met the fate that she did. Well,
0: on September 26th in 2016, Thomas Elmer Jr. dialed 911 and told the operator that his girlfriend of several years, Tamara Nash, was dead on the bathroom floor. So when investigators arrived, he told them how his beloved girlfriend had killed herself 24 hours earlier. So that's a little bit of a red flag right there, is it not? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was a huge red flag. That's the thing that stuck out to me most when I first read the story. Yeah. Especially as a paramedic. Exactly. And because, as you'll go on to say, the reason that he described Mm -hmm. so much time had passed.
0: Yeah. He claimed that he had been too distraught to call, despite knowing that he should call due to his medical background as a paramedic. The thing is, though, the more investigators looked into the case, the more things just didn't add up. Tamara had been dead for at least 36 hours. So the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office released a statement that said the body was manipulated. Evidence found at the scene is not consistent with the suicide, not consistent with Elmore's side of the story. Right away, the police are like, no, something's way off here. This is just. Yeah, way, way off. If you find a loved one or anyone that's dead for any reason whatsoever, who's going to wait any amount of time? You know, I just let alone 24 hours to 36 hours. It just doesn't make sense. No, I don't feel like there's any scenario in which that would happen.
1: I mean, admittedly, I've never been in that position. And I could understand how one would be distraught, but distraught to the point of inaction. Because I think oftentimes, especially if it's a loved one, even if all signs, rational signs point to that person no longer being alive, you might be pursuing all, all of the methods to, to save yes. them, right? I think that's the irrational mind that might come up for somebody when a loved one is in that position. So no, I don't think his actions make any sense in terms of his story. They make sense in terms of maybe what the real story was.
0: I'm all about giving people the benefit of the doubt. There are just certain scenarios in which it could look really bad, you know, it just could look really bad for you. And so I try so hard to give people the benefit of the doubt. It's really, really hard to give him the benefit of the doubt in this situation. It's, even with PTSD, if you could say it was just so shocking that I I was just rendered completely paralyzed for 36 hours, there's just no way.
1: And somebody who had been in the military for 17 years, he's received, if that were true, he's received a lot of training of how to respond especially in the military. I mean, they're taught to sort of numb emotions so that they can respond objectively. That part just doesn't really jive with his history.
0: Also, Tamara had actually been shot twice. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. So Brayden, you actually reached out to me about CBD Stack because they sponsored a podcast a couple of months ago. And then I was so happy when you reached out to let me know that you really liked the product. So tell everybody your experience with it.
1: So I get chronic headaches. If you saw my life, <laughs> like what I'm doing, I just had a kid, I'm starting school, I'm moving into a house. I, I just have so much on my plate. So after getting this CBD oil, I tried it. I put it on and the thing in 10 minutes of my headache, it started fading away. Oh my
0: gosh. That's amazing.
1: It, it was. So I love CBD stat. They have an excellent product. I use the 5,000 milligrams. It's a lifesaver.
0: Their product is really pure, very strong. And that's probably the reason why it works so well. Yeah. They have a, a really nice like 30% off yeah. discount. That's, that's amazing for all of our listeners. And the way that you get that discount is that you have to go to their website at cbdstat.care. So it's not .com or .org or .net, it's .care. So cbdstat.care. And then you put forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. So and by doing that, then it sort of takes you to a special portal where you will get 30% off of whatever you order, which is really cool. It is and it's 100% worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys, if you're interested in it, go to www.cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse and get your 30% off. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know, I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, Y'all know the Echo technology company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Litman Core digital stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. So there was a bullet wound on her hand. Investigators, you know, looking at it were saying that it looked like she attempted to protect her face from one of the shots. Mm -hmm. And the gun also was found, you know, when they found her body and the gun was there, it was found in the wrong hand. It was found in her left hand. (laughs) And she was right handed. Uh Right. A medical examiner later determined that it would have been impossible for her to kill herself based on the evidence.
1: And you'd think in 36 hours, if you're going to stage a crime mm-hmm. scene, you'd at least pick the right hand. I feel
0: like almost every episode, I have to give this little, this little piece of advice to people. But my advice to anyone who is considering doing harm to someone else, for whatever reason, just don't do it. Because as smart as you think you are... I guarantee you this guy was very smart. He went through nursing school. He was a paramedic. He was very intelligent. Sure, As smart as you think you are, we do story after story after story about doctors. Very, very highly intelligent, genius people just doing the dumbest things when it comes to committing a crime because all that adrenaline and all the hormones and stuff that get kind of floating around in your system, you do not have the ability to think rationally. Clearly, you just don't because we can think you know, we're sitting here thinking rationally, of course, we could look back in hindsight, you know, and say, well, why did you do this? Or why did you do that? But if when you're in the moment, these people make mistakes. I mean, mistake after mistake after mistake every week after week after week. Three years of doing this podcast, I am telling you, you are not going to get away with it. Trust me, you will make a mistake. Just don't do it. That's my advice to you. Don't do it. Yeah. He was arrested in October of 2016. His trial actually didn't take place until February of 2021. It just happened a few months ago, the actual trial. And, you know, Eric and I were talking about this before. We were kind of kind of, sort of going through the, the notes before And you were saying, probably COVID. Yeah, Yeah. I would imagine.
1: Although three, four years is still a long time to get to trial. I wonder what some of the extenuating circumstances
0: might have been. Some of our listeners may be familiar with the case. I've talked about it a few times, the Redonda Vaught case, the nurse from Nashville. That was a nurse at Vanderbilt University and accidentally administered Vecaronium to a patient who what she was supposed to administer versed a sedative. She accidentally administered Vecaronium, which was a paralytic. And then the patient ultimately did die. So that case has, it's been years and it, It's her trial is not going to be until next year. And I've been following this since it happened. And I've been advocating for her and I go whenever she has a court hearing. Now, the past couple, I haven't. There's been it's been weird with COVID. I haven't gone since COVID, really, just because I don't even know what they're allowing. But I definitely will be there for her trial, but which is not until next March. So these things take a long time. And what I found out through just watching her process, because that first year or two that she was going through that was every time she'd have a hearing, I would drive over to Nashville and go to her hearing. I would just want to be there with her and sit with her through whatever it was they were doing. And it was always just like the attorneys talking and then the judge be like, okay, you guys will reset another date. And I'm just like, this is the most excruciating thing. And that's our criminal justice system. Yeah. That is just our criminal justice system. It is not Swift for sure, but you have to have time for discovery. You have to have time for the attorneys to be able to give you a good defense. I mean, otherwise, they have other people besides this one person. So they have to have time to be able to comb through all the evidence, hopefully, if they're doing their job.
1: And, you know, I wonder, too, that we probably can't find this in any of the stories until perhaps the trial. Actually, I take that back. I would think with the trial coming out, we might have heard some of these Mm -hmm. things. But like, I was wondering about psychiatric evaluations and other things that may have taken place to help support you know, what, what we might expect from somebody who are assuming based on what we know that likely had PTSD or symptoms consistent with PTSD. We don't know if this was premeditated. It sounds like it probably wasn't given the circumstances, what type of reaction or, you know, what his psychiatric state might have played, but still three to four years still seems like a really long
0: time. It does seem like a long time, but uh, you know, he is claiming that it was suicide. So I'm not sure what good a psychiatric, you know, because basically he's saying I had nothing to do with this. She did this herself. It is what it is. There's nothing's gonna change at this point because either you believe him or you don't. And you know, that evidence, especially the testimony by the medical examiner, is pretty damning if you think about it. The the second the, the second gunshot, I don't I'm not saying it's impossible. Because I do know that there have been people who have shot themselves in the head and lived and survived and and were still aware of what was going on because, you know, the gun sort of kicks back and it doesn't go where you think it's going to. And it maybe sort of grazes or whatever the reason, for whatever the reason, but not through your hand. I don't see a scenario in which that. And I think that's where the medical examiner was, you know, with me not even being able to get. I'm not a medical examiner and I have no I don't have access to the the files or the body or any of that and I feel like that's just sort of common sense like and the medical examiner's going no there's no way she did this.
1: And I guess maybe it makes sense of why he wouldn't have put the gun in her right hand because I'm guessing that the wound was in her right hand. Oh wow. Because if I were defending myself, you still use your dominant hand right? So she'd probably be more likely to raise her right hand than her left. And we don't know the extent of the wound, but he was probably like, well, I can't put it there because obviously there's something wrong with that hand. So I'm going to, you know, not even thinking it through.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. So you can't put it in the hand that was shot through. You got to put it in that other hand.
1: You can't talk your nope. way through that scenario. Nope. Yeah.
0: Nice try, Thomas. He did have some previous arrests and those were brought to light. He had two in 1998 for domestic violence. And one in 2012 for driving under the influence and property damage. So on the night of the actual murder, the couple fought about Tamara, the fact that she lost her job and money. A lot of people do fight over money issues. And he actually tried to accuse her of kicking his dog and being belligerent. Her friends and family said 100% no way did this happen. She loved animals and would absolutely never do that. And what the what is the purpose of him even saying that? That I, I don't even know. If he's saying that she killed herself, why would you even try to throw? I don't understand dragging victims through the mud like that.
1: Yeah, if he were trying to defend something that he was admitting that he'd done, I could see maybe bringing up something that was egregious enough. To to maybe justify, no offense, I love animals too, but I still don't think kicking someone's dog is reason to shoot them. But it might make sense if he were trying to justify his own behavior, but it certainly doesn't make sense, you know, like you said, just to drag her through the mud when he's not even claiming responsibility.
0: No. Her family also says that she doesn't believe his version of the disagreement because, They said she would not be the type of person who would escalate an argument. She generally would just kind of remain calm through a conflict. What they're saying is that this doesn't sound anything like her, his version of events. Well, after eight hours of deliberation, the jury found Thomas Elmore Jr. guilty as charged And he actually is still awaiting sentencing, as you can imagine, because this just happened earlier this year in February of 2021. The Hillsborough State Attorney Andrew Warren said that the conviction, quote, delivers justice for Tamara Nash and her family. He went on to say, as a nurse, she dedicated her career to helping others. Her life was taken so heartlessly. And now the man who did it and lied about it will pay for it. I mean, just a horrible senseless act. I, it's it's hard to understand.
1: And I just feel the additional wound is not even taking responsibility for it. You know, like for her family and others grieving her loss to, to be even trying to perpetuate the story that she did it herself or what have you is just really unfathomable to me.
0: It is. You know, we have talked about several, many, many times on this podcast, the fact that there are so many women in our country who are killed every single year by a spouse or a boyfriend or, you know, a significant other. It is incredibly common. It's Mm -hmm. just it's very, very sad. Yes, the opposite happens. Women also can be violent and can hurt their spouse or significant other other that happens. We've done those stories also. You know, when I'm doing research for stories to look up stories and I'm trying to find the quote Badner story. You know the kind of Googling I have to do. It's not going to look good for me um, if I ever get investigated by the FBI. But look, do you know what I come across over and over and over again just looking for stories about nurses who killed other people? That's not what comes up. I'm having to comb through the stories about nurses being killed by someone else. Always. It's always... Oh, gosh. Right. And it's very difficult to come up with the stories of the nurses doing... Of killing someone because there are so many no matter the the what order you put the words in in the google search there's so many people who have been nurses who have been killed you know women nurses who have been killed so tragic yes it happens so often and i don't know what we have to do in you know in our society to protect women there's a mindset. Something is way flawed in our society that men feel like they would rather someone be dead than not be able to control them. And make no mistake, it is about control. It is not about love. Said that enough too. it is not about love. Absolutely.
1: You know, maybe side topic, but I'm kind of curious, given the fact that you do immerse yourself in this content, how do you take care of yourself in the midst of it without taking on all of this Pain and tragedy. The
0: topic for that conference in Georgia, for the for the Nursing Students Association Conference in Georgia, is minding your brain, a, to mind your brain. And so it is about mental health. It's something that I have to be aware of all the time. I seek counseling. I am in therapy. And I did not have the best upbringing, honestly. I had a very tragic, traumatic childhood. And so these things, types of stories are almost therapeutic to me. I like to organize things. And I, I like to know, what mm. am I up against? What's the What are the possibilities so I can protect myself? I want to know what could someone be thinking about doing? That way, I can at least be look, on the lookout for that. And so something about knowing this stuff well yes it's disturbing and yes i do have to remove myself from it sometimes because i'm just like okay this is way too dark i i'll never get that image out of my head i wish i had never seen that you know when i'm doing the the searching for it i'm just like oh my goodness how can people be so horrible mm-hmm. but you have to mind your brain you have to think about your mental health for sure and i and i definitely have to do that when i'm doing these stories
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's something that we as nurses do too, right? Because we do take on so much tragedy mm-hmm. in in most instances. And so I think having that process of, I don't want to use the term compartmentalizing because I don't know that that's the most positively adaptive behavior that we can be doing because it's the sense of kind of stuffing <laughs> it. But the processing, or letting it go, or you know, letting it have its time here, and then and then moving on to something else, not you know, bringing it through all aspects of mm-hmm. your life, I think is really important. What a great thing to bring to nursing students. Yes, to have in mind. Yes, you know, right out the gate. Yes, to,
0: to be aware of some things and um, some coping, some healthy <laughs> coping mechanisms. One of the things that I've learned in therapy is you can have safe spaces and you can have to, you know, one of the things that uh, my therapist says is to if, if something is too difficult for you to deal with, you don't want to stuff it down. You don't want to push it down. But you definitely want to have a place where you can kind of lock it away. And you have a, almost like a vault or a mm-hmm. place you're going to deal with it. It's not that you're not going to deal with it, but it's just right now is not a good time. I can't continue to deal with this. We're getting, I'm getting way too, in, you know, it's too dark. We're going to put it in the vault, seal right. it up for now. We will right. deal with that when we're stronger and able to handle it.
1: Right. No, that's a really good point. I was also thinking it's kind of like the closet, you know, this I'm looking at my <laughs> spare bedroom closet going like the spare closet or the junk drawer, <laughs> like that place where it's still there. Yeah. It's probably got some friends, right? There's, there's other things there, but you know, one day we'll get through that. And stuff. definitely
0: got to go back to it. You can't just leave it there forever. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: At the very least, you're going to move,
0: I right? I know. You're going
1: to have to, unless you plan on throwing it all in a box and bringing it to the next Well, and box. you're going to
0: keep stuffing things in there. That's another thing. You, you will keep stuffing things in that <laughs> closet until you open the door one day and it all falls on top of you. <laughs> I love the visuals. Like, and
1: I don't know if you ever watched Friends, but Monica's Secret Closet I was thinking about. It's good to do a little inventory of those closets every once in a while. Like you said, when you're feeling strong and able to to sort of sort through those things. So I like that. Healthy compartmentalizing. A little therapy in the middle of good nurse, bad nurse.
0: Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house. So it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I guess that kind of brings us to our, our good nurse story. I'm happy to be able to highlight these nurses and, and healthcare professionals who bad things happen to good people. It's just a reality. And yes, the good nurse story is supposed to be us ending on a good note, but it's it's not always sunshine and roses. You know, that's just not our world. Sometimes they get shoved into the spotlight because something, you know, something unfortunate happened. and And that is the case here. Our good nurse is Jennifer Toscano, and this happened in Providence, Rhode Island. And I got this story from CBS 46. And so basically what happened is in November of 2020, just last year, an off-duty nurse was actually killed. It was a hit-and-run driver after she pulled over to help the victim of a car crash. I just feel like, Erica, this is something that is Really, really common for healthcare professionals to do, and that's what, if you see somebody in need, somebody in danger, you know, possibly injured, you're gonna run to them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. Well, state police responded to a rollover crash, and they, this good Samaritan, was trying to help a passenger, and. She had been hit by a car. The car drove away. She was identified as 34-year-old Jennifer Toscano and was pronounced dead at the scene. So her friend, Ashley Ziola, said that she died as a hero doing what she loved to do. Jen seeing someone on the side of the road, that's just something she would do. She'd have to go help them. I know. It's heartbreaking. It's very heartbreaking. So she actually left behind a teenage son, and his name was Doug unfortunately just a few months before doug's father died so this poor young man has lost both of his parents within just a few months i know it's so tragic well they did find the suspect's car just shortly after this it ended up being 22 year old luis baez and he was arrested and charged with driving under the influence of alcohol that resulted in death, driving to endanger resulting in death, and leaving the scene of an accident that resulted in death. And they did arrest him, but the case is still pending, of course, because this has been very recent. And as we just discussed, this, this, our criminal justice system, the parole process takes some time. It sure does. So, as healthcare workers, what I want to just say is that I know we all have that thing inside of us. You know, we want to help. We want to jump out of the car, especially if there are no first responders there and you just witnessed someone in an accident, your first instinct is to jump out of the car and help. When this happens, I'm not going to say not to do it, of course. I'm not going to tell people not to do that. I honestly would do that myself. So, But what I will say is to please be careful and be mindful of your surroundings. Keep yourself safe and Do what you need to do to be able to go home to your family while, of course, you're rendering aid to the person there, you know, in the car. Try to stay off the road if at all possible. If you can, try to have someone directing traffic. You know how when we have a code situation and if, you know, they always teach us the first thing that you say is you like point to a specific person and you say, you go call 911. You literally look at specific people and tell them, give them directions. A lot of times you as the healthcare worker, especially if you work in a hospital. But I mean, all of us, we're kind of just have that thing in us. We're just leaders. Be a leader. A lot of this like regular people, they're just standing there going, I don't even know what to do. You know, they're almost in shock too. if you look at someone dead in the eye, and you tell you give them a task, I guarantee you they're going to do it, right? Yeah, look at somebody and say, direct traffic, be sure, you know, direct traffic around this, be sure there aren't any cars coming through here. And then they will do that. And I was thinking, you know, keep an emergency kit in your car. You can get pop-up cones on on Amazon. They're not that expensive. I was looking it up and I think you can get two for like $20 or something. These little, they're like maybe a foot uh, square, you know, and they literally flatten down. You can keep those in your car. You can have a little kit that has like you know, sc- scissors so you can cut off a, t- a sweatshirt if you need to, or a tourniquet or whatever, a-, a little cover, you know. The pocket barrier. Yes, a barrier. Gloves. Gloves, it's a great thing to have. Have a little kit. If you can imagine yourself doing this at all, get yourself, pre- you know, be prepared for it. Right. Throw those cones out there and hand them to somebody and be like, set these cones out so, you know, people will know to go around us. And yes, it was a drunk driver, but, you know, a lot of times... It's not that they necessarily are just so blind drunk that they don't know what they're doing. A lot of times it's just the reaction time that causes things like this to happen. Give them a little heads up by putting out a cone, I don't know, several yards out and who knows, it could save your life. Right.
1: Because of course we don't, we don't have a lot of details of what Jen might have done. I'd be interested to know like the specific details, like where was the car? Where was she? Because we all learn when we get our basic life support certification, which we're all required to have as registered nurses and other healthcare professionals, our first role is to make sure that the scene is safe. So I would expect that she probably did so to the best of her ability. But if someone's in a life-threatening situation and she was alone, there's probably only so much she could do. I love what you're saying, that if, if you can see yourself at all being that person, then be prepared ahead of time so that you have some additional resources. Who's to say whether or not any of those things would have made a difference in this case? Like I said, I'd like to think she did everything that she could. But your research determining how frequently it happens is really, again, really just another tragic layer to the story. And I think it's great advice to, to just keep a few things in the car. You never know. They might work for you in your own car.
0: My husband and I were just talking about this at lunch. He brought this up. We weren't even talking about the this story. He brought it up because he, a friend of his was talking to him about the possibility. And this is, of course, you guys know, I, I have to think of every worst case scenario. That's just where my brain always goes. And every time I drive, I can't drive over a bridge without thinking, where's there's a wreck and I, my car ends up in the water. So... This person was talking to my husband about, I think he called it a pick, but it's this thing you can get that you put on a window and it literally breaks the window. And so like if you go over a bridge and your car goes into the water, once that car goes under, the pressure from the water will keep you from being able to open the door. And because most of our, we don't have, you know, manually rolled down windows, All of that's going to be shut off because of the, you know, the electronic system will be shut off. So you're not going to be able to lower the window. So he said that, that his friend told him that he had, he had friends who always roll their window down every single time they go over a bridge. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that from now on. My family's going to be so (laughs) mad that we ever heard this story because it'll be 30 below. And I'll just be like, roll the windows down. We're going over a bridge. You guys, you just never know.
1: I have to be honest. I was often that person. You know, I live here in Portland. We've got a big river that goes straight through the center of the city. And so you're often going across bridges. And I felt the same way. I think I first heard it like on an Oprah episode or something. And I'm like, oh, I need to make sure my window's down. Given the weather, I like this this gadget, though, that seems to be a much more useful way of dealing with that. Better prepared than sorry.
0: Hey, that's true. I mean, how hard is it to keep this little thing in your car? And if you're ever in that situation, it's not going to hurt to have it there. He was actually telling me about a case where a couple, what they were trying to pull their boat out of the water on a, like a ramp. And so they had like the truck with the trailer and the boat. And somehow it like started sliding down into the lake and the whole thing, the Every, like the boat, trailer, truck, everything was submerged under the water because Yikes. once it yeah. got going, no stopping it. it just pulled it right under. I was like, boy, yeah, you know, you're giving me all these things that my mind is just going to be. Co- I'm constantly, you don't even know what kind of <laughs> battle is going on in some my brain constantly trying to avoid I that all the dangers. The, that you know, where you everywhere. think that comes from with,
1: with your childhood and kind of knowing the worst case scenario. It very much reminds me of a dear co-worker of mine, though, that she's the same way. She has an inflatable kayak in her car because we live in this. So not only is there a city, a river running right through the center of Portland, Portland is also right at the top of Oregon. So Vancouver, Washington is right across the border with a river in between is basically in our metro area. I know it's probably similar with with other places that people are from. There's a lot of rivers. So she's like, there's no way I'm not getting to my kids. I've got an inflatable kayak. Nothing's going to stop me. But it, it's soothing for her to know that she's prepared for just about any emergency. <laughs> I think whatever brings you peace.
0: You know, everyone deals with trauma in different ways. And sometimes it, it causes anxiety because, you know, your brain is just going, you know, something bad could happen at any moment. I've had too many bad things happen. So I know I'd be on beyond- You know, like on guard at all times. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of help calm your brain by saying you don't have to worry about that because we have this, right? You know, and you don't have to worry about that because we have this. You know, like that's my that's what I'm constantly trying to do. I'm always trying to go, okay, brain, you know, to calm down. You're fine. You don't have to worry about that. We got this. You don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about going over bridges. We'll just roll the windows down. It's fine.
1: I mean, of course there could be a dark side to that, you know, but if it does, if it brings you peace, then I say, Hey, let's do it. And you know, don't be silly. I'm like, well, if there's an earthquake, I'm getting in that kayak too. Where are you going? Can I get a ride? I don't want to be away from my kid either. It's important (laughs) to be prepared and we don't always think of the scenarios, right? So I think this is a great opportunity to remind people this isn't something you'd necessarily anticipate, but spending a few bucks to have an emergency kit with others in mind, right? Like not necessarily about what you might need, but what you might come across, I think is great advice.
0: Eric and I were talking about this before the show, but when I was looking up this story, I was looking up versions of the story to try to just get more information about the victim. And when I did, I could not believe the number of stories that came up of nurses, of actual nurses or healthcare people who were killed while trying to help someone on the road. And not only that, just people in general. People trying to change a tire, trying to, you know, just literally any, you know, being on the side of the road, it is so dangerous. So not only being, you know, mindful and cognizant of your surroundings when you are on the side of the road, if you're driving in your car and you see someone that's on the side of the road with a flat tire, they're, whatever the circumstances are, for heaven's sake, if it's at all possible, please get over into the other lane and at least give them the peace of mind of not feeling the cars just rush and rush and rush by.
1: It's frightening. I have to say, I guess, it. see, I'm losing track of time again. It must have been summer of 2019. I was on my way to a friend's wedding and I got a flat tire and I was on this really curvy part of the freeway. And there was like barely a shoulder for me to pull over. And then I was too scared to get out. I'm like, I'm not getting out of my car. I'm literally like the line was right there and I'm stuck and I'm crying because I'm by myself. I'm wearing these fancy, stupid clothes. It's not what you want to be wearing when you've got a flat tire calling my friend. And I'm like, even the, the tow truck driver couldn't find me. Like my friend got to me quicker. And thankfully her husband was like, you know, he had the little flares. And, you know, even when we were standing there, I was scared just being, you know, on the side of a freeway, people are going like 70 miles an hour and, or around a curve. So, you, you know, they're not expecting you. So I can't even imagine being in a situation where I was forced to get out of the car or having to, to try and deal with that tire myself. Cause I'm pretty certain somebody would have hit me. So it's, yeah, it's terrifying. So I, yeah, I often will move over to the next lane because nobody wants somebody whizzing by like that. That's really good advice.
0: Well, Erica, remind everyone about where they can find you and your, your podcast and about your organization. Just tell everybody all about what you've got going on.
1: Okay. Well, yeah. Like from last year, I started the nurses of color collective for nurses and nursing students who identify as, you know, black, indigenous people of color. You can find us probably most readily on Instagram. So Nurses of Color Collective is our IG handle. Also have a website, nursesofcolorcollective.com. You can email me there, join the mailing list, any of that. We've been having events kind of somewhere between monthly and quarterly, depending on what's going on not sure when this will air but i'm sure we'll have something coming up soon that you're welcome to join we've been doing virtual still i am also hosting a podcast through the university of portland which is called piloting the future of healthcare you can find that on i think spotify and you know wherever else you find podcasts but also at our website we are up as in paul or portland.edu and yeah. I guess lastly, the only new thing I've got going on that, uh, since we've spoken is I've actually started yet another business, I'm moving into the world of health and wellness coaching. So you have any interest in that you again can always email me. I don't know if you'll put all that in the show notes Ooh. or if you want me to spell everything out, but, um, my business is called Balm for the soul, like B A L M for the soul. Yeah. I'm almost, uh, yeah, I checked this the other day because I couldn't remember. My email is Erica at bombforthesoul.com. So if you're interested in any of that, or just want to know more even about what is this thing about nurse coaching, I'd love to chat with people about that. And if you just want to find Erica proper, I'm also on Instagram. <laughs> um, But probably best place to find me is is Nurses of Color Collective.
0: Wonderful. Well, I love hearing from you guys. You know, you can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can find me on Instagram at goodnursebadnurse or GNB and podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And you can come to our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. And we have all of the episodes usually are put on there. Our IT person, I can't fire him because he's my husband. <laughs> he's a little slow at getting the episodes. like <laughs> <laughs> darn it no kidding
1: (laughs) y'all know know mark
0: he's he's actually co-hosted a couple of episodes just to introduce him and so they know who he is well but i'd love to hear from you guys you know send me your stories i love it when you guys send me emails and messages it absolutely makes my day even the bad ones i don't care you can smack my hand all you want to although you know if you guys would go and please rate and review us on apple Pod- i never asked for this but it seems like that people like f- will listen to the the podcast and then if they don't like it those are the people that decide to go and rate and review. And they'll go and give us like a one star and be like, they talk, they ramble and talk too much. I'm just like, well, that's just what it is. I go, what? go listen to something else. Like, why oh, you, no. you got to give me one star? I mean, like, what's, I mean, come on. It's not. So anyway, it's all right. I have thick skin. I can handle it. I'm not that sensitive or anything. It's fine. I don't cry all night after getting one of those. Don't worry about me, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you guys for listening. And I also want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, just be a good nurse.